I will be reading from Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to 1 John, and we're going to be opening there for the next um, 12 weeks. So I hope you bring your Bibles with you. That way you can take some notes and put those in the um, in that little white section that God's blessed us with in our Bibles. But I want you to think back to a time long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away as we start this morning. Back when um, word processors or hard drives to store words on hadn't been invented yet. But instead, we had words like typewriter, whiteout, filing cabinets. Those were terms that we used around the office. Now, I know this is practically prehistoric, but go ahead and, and just stretch your mind there, all right? Because it makes sense about how this story then works. A preacher was about 10 minutes into his lesson, and he abruptly stopped, not paused. I'm telling you, he stopped and completed the message right there. Now, he usually preached about 35 minutes and he began to apologize profusely to the church, saying, Our new dog has decided he likes to eat paper. Well, this morning while I was eating my breakfast, he said, Our new dog was eating my sermon. And so that's why the sermon's so short today. Everybody laughed, and, and they understood. But after the service was over, a visitor came up to the preacher and said, Would you let me know if that dog ever has puppies? I want our minister to have one. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that. You may want to get me a puppy today. Having a good message destroyed is one thing. Having a God message destroyed is another. The Apostle John is facing having a God message destroyed when he writes 1 John. And today we begin to look at the first four verses of this incredible letter in a series that I'm calling Lights Out. We did the overview of it last week, the, the view from 10,000 feet. But now we're going to get into the first four verses this morning. John would say something worse than a dog was destroying his message, especially when he refers to them as Antichrist later in the letter. They actually are a group of people who once were numbered among the people to whom he is writing, but these Gnostics have left. They claim that they have more knowledge and, and a higher knowledge and a greater knowledge than those who they left behind in the church. It's preventing them from associating with those that they once knew as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that left this group of Christians who remained uncertain, listen to me clearly, about their Christianity. Whether or not they were complete Christians. And that's why 36 times John is going to say, here's how we can know that we're in Christ. Here's how we can know that we are living out the Christian faith. And it's no surprise he begins with the most important aspect of the Christian faith, and that is this. What do you believe about Jesus? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, John writes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. Father in heaven, we love you. And as was prayed a few moments ago for me, I continue that prayer. Please pour the gift of preaching through me this morning through the power of your spirit. But also to the minister who's preaching, maybe at a pulpit similar to this at the Western Hills Baptist Church. Father, we join them like we joined Valeri across the continent there as disciples who are in love with you. And want so much to spread that love with others who desperately need it. And I'm asking you this morning, please help us do that through your spirit, and for your, your name. And I ask this in Christ's name, and everyone said. I want to say if you're investigating Jesus maybe for the first time, or if you're here for the first time in a long time, that the message that John is writing here, he's writing as an eyewitness. We talked a little bit about that last week, but I want to elaborate especially more this week in its implications. The man that we knew, John says, the man that we walked with, the man that we studied under, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the life that was from the beginning. Now, the first thing that we've got to know as we look at these four verses is what he means by the beginning. Because if you read God's story, it talks a lot about different beginnings, significant beginnings. If you turn to Genesis 1 and verse 1, the Bible says there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that was the beginning. It's a great beginning, but it's not the one that he's talking about here. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1, John is writing and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now there, John is talking about the timeless, listen to me, unbeginning of Jesus. Now we human beings operate best when we know what's the starting point here of something. When did that begin? And John has to say in his Gospel, well, Jesus always has been. He's, he doesn't have a beginning. He's an unbeginning part of God. He's with the Father. He's with the Spirit. He's with the Son. That's not the beginning that John's talking about here. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about Jesus' earthly beginning. A beginning that was launched with Mary giving him birth, where it was marked by tears and cold and blood and crying and nursing and wonder. But that's not the beginning that John's talking about here in 1 John. No, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, John is talking about the beginning of the preaching of the gospel that came to this part of the world. John here isn't referring to a who, but he's rather referring to a what. He doesn't say he who was from the beginning, but he says that which was from the beginning. Now, I've heard it said that the best way to interpret the Bible is to read the Bible. <laughs> that sounds like something Yogi Berra would have said, but he didn't say that. But let's let 1 John determine what he means by the beginning, okay? In chapter 2 and verse 7, John's going to say, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you heard. Now, John just simply says, I'm talking about something that you've heard. He says later in chapter verse, or verse 24 of that same chapter, As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now, Jesus is the message 
But Jesus is also the man. Which one is being talked about? Well, first John's being talked about here. He's talking about a message. That which was heard from the beginning. Now remember, some people have left this church, as I said earlier, and this new understanding they have and this new insight says, we can't be with you anymore. And that disturbs them. And what John's going to say is, from the get-go, listen to me, what you've heard from the beginning is enough. He's hoping that's going to quiet their hearts and their minds. What you have, there's no missing pieces in your understanding of the gospel. Nothing's been left out. You've got the complete package so you can rest in that you already have the rest of the story. Just stick to it. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Here's what he's going to say again in this first verse. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, why does John's testimony matter anyway? I think that's probably a valid question. Why do we spend so much time talking about what he is saying from the beginning? Well, it matters because we only know Jesus through the testimony of these apostles. Have you thought about that lately? My ultimate trust is in Jesus Christ, but I put a lot of trust in the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really were eyewitnesses of his majesty, as we'll see in a minute. And I trust their words are true. Now, there's a, there's a lot of things we could talk about that would prove that, but you're probably not interested in those things. You just want to hear what does the Bible have to say about that, but I'm going to encourage you to remember we have to align ourselves with believing these, this apostolic knowledge that we've been given is from God himself or we're lost. We can flip open the newspaper and see who's talking there. We can flip open the magazine and see who's talking there. It is absolutely necessary that if you're going to have fellowship with Jesus Christ, that you believe the trust and believe and trust his, his apostles. Now, why this matters so much is because this testimony of Christ that's been given us, you're going to be asked to defend. Here's a powerful phrase, uh, scripture that comes from Jude, who was Jesus' brother. This gospel that you've received, I want you to be ready to, to fight because... Once and for all, it's been entrusted to the church. Paul's going to say this in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, even stronger words. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that, you've, that was preached to you, let them be accursed. Those are strong words. Because John is assuring his audience that they lack nothing, though, in the teaching that gets them into Christ and will continue to sustain them in Christ because the goal of that knowledge is fellowship with God. And with one another. Fellowship has always been the ultimate goal of what we're doing as far as trying to be Christ-like in the world. Not salvation. Now I want that one to sink in for a moment. Salvation in Christ is not our goal. Fellowship with God is our goal. Let me explain what I mean by that. This weekend we've had the good news that Kristen Wilson and Diana Goad and Aubrey and Laurel have all given their lives to Jesus Christ. Yay, God! Out at camp, we've had minimally at least four of our teens say, we want to be followers of Christ. And you know what? That's exciting, but that's not the goal of our faith. Fellowship with the Father is the goal of our faith. That's an exciting moment. It's an exciting step in our faith. But our goal is a relationship with Christ, not just fellowship. And here's why, because from the genesis of time, God's desire has been for us to exist in a relationship with him. Not just to create a world and, and go, wow, isn't that cool? Not just to create human beings and go, wow, aren't they cool? But to say, I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. 
I want to love you and I want you to be loved. I want to be loved back. Fellowship is what he's been after since the beginning of time. And John's trying to say to these folks who has their faith a little bit tarnished, a little bit weakened. They're not quite sure that they are Christians. Listen to me. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you do, you've got everything that you need. Everything you need with fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Now, if we believe that, that makes us Christians exclusively inclusive. Exclusively inclusive. Now, Gail's asking, what do you mean by exclusive? And I'm glad she's asked that question. Because it really is an exclusive statement for us to believe that. Christianity is not some compilation of various thoughts and philosophies that were birthed in somebody's mind as they sat on the mountain in Tibet and pondered life. That's huge. John's trying to say, no. We saw him. We heard him. We ate with him. We watched him do miracles. We were, we were a part of the miracle of the resurrection. We saw him audibly, visibly, tangibly. And this matters. This is huge. And he's writing to a group of people and saying, you can trust that. I love what Peter says when he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In his own way, John's trying to say, this isn't fake news. This is authentic. You can trust this, and it's good news. I've been asked to speak in Fredericksburg um, this coming Wednesday night. And that may not matter much to, much to many of you, but... It matters to me in, in this way. It gives me a chance to tell the story again. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of it with you. But when God put Gail and I back together again, there was something that happened in time, in place, and in space with eyewitnesses that's either one of the greatest coincidences I've ever heard of in my life or it was truly bordering on the miraculous. God did something supernatural on a specific night when he brought my wife out of her bed to my porch the night before the next day I'm going to marry somebody. What a coincidence. And I love what Mother Teresa says about coincidence. It's just when God decides to be anonymous. Now, I'm going to get to tell that story in Fredericksburg because they've asked us to come and share it live. You can find it on the net, and I'll tell you a little bit about that if you want to be interested and share that maybe with a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew who's having trouble in their marriage. But it happened. Didn't hear about this when I, I watched Oprah. Didn't hear about this whenever I uh, read Chicken Soup for the Soul. This happened in my life. And what I'm trying to do is say John's writing to a church of folks that he shared the gospel with. Remember who shared this with you. Whoever these folks are that say they have higher knowledge or more knowledge than we are, I'm an eyewitness. I walked with him. I talked with him. I saw him. And now I'm speaking to you. And that matters. Billions of people around the world will say, no, it doesn't. We don't believe it's true. So it really is exclusive when we say, we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It really is exclusive when we say, that he died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. It really is exclusive to say, and we believe he was resurrected from the dead and gives us hope that we too will be resurrected. That's an exclusive message, church. It really is. If the apostolic testimony is true, this changes everything. 
It really does. Then everybody in the world needs to fall on their knees and give thanks and their lives to Jesus Christ. To a particular man by the name of Jesus from a place called Nazareth that walks this, that's a historical fact. And if God became a man, then all pretense is stripped away from every man and every woman who wants to be God. And John's saying that the incarnation matters most of all, or it matters none at all. And it's true. What you can't do is admire this man, Jesus. You must either follow him or deny him. And that's going to be exposed on a day called Judgment Day. And I don't think those of us who've grown up in a Christian environment, we may believe that, but we're not really usually familiar with the cost of saying, yeah, we buy into that exclusive statement of faith. In April of 2008, the BBC carried an article entitled, When Muslims Become Christian. Caught my attention this week. A man by the name of Akan writes, I was disowned by my parents when I converted from Islam to Christianity. They said, go away, you're not our son. They told people I died in an accident rather than having the shame of their son leaving the faith. So I was born and raised in Turkey, and I converted to Christianity after moving into a university setting. My telling of my parents was a difficult moment, even though they're not particularly observant Muslims. But I never expected this. First, my parents heard of my conversion while they were watching the national news syndicated by Muslim television. And I was being called an evil missionary intent on brainwashing Turkish children. Hakan now lives in the UK, but he is not alone in his experience. The article goes on to talk about Sophia. It's not a real name. But she faced similar pressures when she decided to become a Christian, coming from a Pakistani background. She lives in East London. She's 28 years old, and Sophia spoke about the extreme cultural pressures her family put her under. She writes, they kept saying, you know this punishment is death, right? You know the punishment is death. And in the end, Sophia ran away from home. She said, my mother tracked me down, though, on the day of my baptism, she turned up. I got baptized, and my mother was running up to the stage, trying to pull me out of the water. As soon as the baptism was complete, I received a phone call from my brother. He was so angry. She writes, he said, I'm coming down to burn that church to the ground. They know what it means when we say it costs to follow Jesus Christ. Those who know what it means that when you buy into this exclusive message, you're buying into something that's going to be costly. But what John's trying to say is either Jesus is the way or he's no way. What the apostles will not let you say is that he's one of many ways. E. Stanley Jones, who's a missionary in Africa, tells the story of a man who was in the bush and he got lost. He found a little village and he asked the tribesmen there if they would help him find his way back to camp. A man said that he'd help. So he took his machete and he took Stanley Jones and they began hacking their way through the jungle. And the missionary was following him and finally he asked one day, where is the path? <laughs> and the tribesman responded, out here there is no path. I am the path. And then what Jesus said? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is salvation in no other name. That's what Peter's going to say. Salvation is not found in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. 
The most important question that you're ever going to answer, friend, is this. You ready? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? If that answer is you are Christ, the Son of the living God, if that answer is the Savior of the world and my Lord, that confession will make you a part of a very, hear me clearly, exclusive group of people. But secondly, it will make you part of an exclusively inclusive group of people. I think we have leaned heavily on exclusively. Now for you, I'm looking at it over here, it would be this direction. I think we've leaned heavily on exclusively, but not near enough on inclusive. But I, I beg you, I dare you to study the word and come up with any other conclusion. God's goal has always been, I'll say it again, fellowship. To love him and to love each other. And that is why Jesus says you can boil all the law and all the prophets of this book down to really two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor, we've been talking about, I'm glad you remember, as yourself. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it's about love. We can be all gushy-mushy with all about, but we know that it's a costly, demanding love, reading 1 Corinthians 13. But here's what the Bible says about that love. That as I love Christ, I've done this in the marriage enrichment series, as I love Christ, Gail, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, Victor, as I love Christ more and more, as that grows, then it pulls us together. It's that wonderful triangle of love. And that's what the entire book of the Bible has been about. Bringing a broken fellowship with God into a unified, intimate relationship with God. Now, do you believe, church, that 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 love that Christ poured out on the cross is an inclusive type love? I hope so, and I think we say so. But the reality is we have lived in a nation of millions of people who profess to be Jesus followers, and yet we have lived with incredible amounts of division. Incredible amounts of suspicion and name-calling and just simply staying apart from one another for not really any good reason. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, here's what John says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, okay, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is about fellowship about an inclusive fellowship. How can we say we believe, but we're not a part of a fellowship with those who also say that they believe? And the answer is that we're requiring fellowship that John never did. We're requiring more from that fellowship than John ever did. I don't know about you, but this Jesus mostly take that many of us have had on life and not the Jesus only take has worn me out. It just has. Jesus alone doesn't destroy fellowship, but Jesus plus does. If you've been within churches of Christ in any time at all, you've heard some about our heritage, but it's not just our heritage. It's in the Baptist heritage, it's in the Methodist heritage, it's in the Presbyterian heritage. You can look all over the Christian heritage and you can see that when we decide that Jesus plus matters more than just Jesus alone, we fuss and fight. We do. In my lifetime, I've seen Jesus plus instrumental music people in the church at war with versus those who are a cappella music only in the church. 
In my lifetime, I've been in the middle of the war when people are fussing and fighting over a more public role of a woman in the church and a no public role of women in the church. In my lifetime, I've seen fusses and fights and divisions over the Holy Spirit and all of His gifts being present in the church and no, the Holy Spirit and just some of the gifts are present in the church. And we've all got our verses And sadly enough, far too often, Jesus isn't enough. And so we become divided on the pluses, and I'm asking God, forgive us. I'm asking God to help us. And we wind up saying awful things like false teacher and heretic, when interestingly enough, you're going to see in John's book, a false teacher and a heretic is defined basically two ways. One is when you deny the identity of Christ. And the second is the complete sufficiency of the atonement. Those things that I listed a while ago that brothers and sisters have fussed and fought over and split and said we can't be here anymore, they had nothing to do with the identity of Christ. They had nothing to do with just the sufficiency of the atonement of Christ. No, it had everything to do with the Jesus plus, even in the church of Christ. According to John, my brother and I might be wrong in a lot of things, but according to John, he's my brother if we're both right about Jesus. Now, are there other Issues that are important to talk about, absolutely, and study. It is not wrong to have strong convictions about any of those things. And I'll even say this, maybe sometimes it's better for brothers and sisters to serve Christ and worship Christ, maybe in different places. But to have a divisive heart, to have that place in our heart to say, I really don't think they're in, I really don't think that they're one of us, because of the pluses that we're, not Jesus, but the pluses we're talking about. That, I think, is anathema to God. History proves that the world out there is not listening much to our message. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're not just preaching Jesus alone. We're preaching Jesus plus. What happened to we are Christians only, but not the only Christians? I'm an heir of a movement that used to have this as a centerpiece of its message. Many of you didn't grow up in Churches of Christ, but I did since I was 11 years old. In the middle of the 1800s, I came to find out that we started out as a movement which said, let's not fuss over the pluses. Instead, let's focus on Christ. In the early 1800s in America, you had all these different faith families in the body of Christ. And to get into any of those denominations of that day, you literally had to pass a test declaring that You accepted some unique beliefs of that denomination or you couldn't join. Back in 1852, a man by the name of Richard Robertson, or I'm sorry, I said that backwards, Robert Richardson, who was a teacher with Alexander Campbell, wrote a response about a new group of folks who said, we just want to be Christians only. Not the only Christians, but Christians only. Could we do that? And some were saying, well, I guess you could, but what do you believe? What's the system of theology or the doctrines that you ask your members to follow? And here's what Robert said. We differ from all Christian sects as we know them in one way in particular. While they suppose that this Christian faith to be doctrine-based, we propose it to be person-based. In other words, they suppose that certain doctrines or religious practices are central to their faith, but we on the contrary perceive it to hinge on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
And while they accordingly acquire an elaborate confession from each convert, a confession studiously elaborated into an extended formula, we demand, come on, we demand only a simple confession of Christ, a heartfelt acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Christian faith then, in our view, consists not only of any system of doctrine, but in the sincere belief in the person and the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's a lot of words, but man, I wish you'd take the time to go back and listen to those again or read those again. I'll be glad to give you a copy because it hits home at my heart because I hear that and I go, wow, somebody actually attempted that? What a great start. But if you know anything about our history, you know that like every other group, we didn't keep that noble goal very long. We started fighting and splitting over the pluses. And our movement became a statement. And now just drive by the golf course there and you'll see buildings like that closing their doors because now it's becoming non-existent. Now we said we just wanted to be Christians only. But here's what I witnessed. Being a Christian only will always get complicated unless you base that fellowship in Christ only. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, that's why I made the decision, and you have to do this, to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on a cross. And that's what my goal is. Some may wonder what, my, what sportsman's agenda is. I've tried to be very open and honest about what that is. Look at our mission statement. That's my primary agenda. Where does it come from? This. Focusing on what Christ did on a cross for me and did through a resurrection for him and for the rest of the world. And trying my best to lead ordinary people into a relationship with a guy that God could do that through. How? By loving our, our God like we could not love anything else. And by loving our neighbor to the best of our ability. And flat out living this life to the full. Now can we focus on that? Can we make that central to everything about us? And everything else then becomes peripheral. I want to say this this morning and I'm going to celebrate this with you. At least we're trying and I love this about us. And I think it's completing his joy. At least we're trying. Since I've been here, I've been blessed to be a part of serving alongside this group of Jesus followers. And every morning, you allow me, you encourage me. It's the most commented about thing about my entire life with you. We just love it when you pray for other churches. We've not just believed, but we practice that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And if he's your Lord, there's a good chance we could get along if we just tried. Our primary practice of singing is obviously a cappella. But one Sunday two years ago, we got together with over 3,000 people in Antler Stadium, and we sang instrumentally in that stadium that night. And together we joined hands, and together we repented of the division and the suspicion and the competition among us. And together as one voice, we promised God we would hold Jesus Christ as our only test of fellowship. We host a study here from women all over Kerrville. Some are, are putting their foot in the water trying to get to know Jesus. Most of them already know him. They come from churches all over this county. Bible study fellowship has been an amazing tool for unity in the body of Christ. And here on Monday night, their worship is instrumental. Right here in this room. And I think God smiles when he sees that. 
We've hosted on Thursday night a satellite event that employed instruments in praise. And this church joined with 15 other churches. And we lifted our voices in praise. And we prayed in the name of Christ. And it was an amazing evening. We serve alongside others who wear the name of Jesus when we go out to Christian Service Initiative. When we go paint some houses and clean up some yards and, and build handicap ramps. All on a day in which we, we just want to simply serve together in the name of Christ. We even exchanged pulpits two years ago. David Danielson from Impact Church came and he spoke here and I went and spoke over there at their church. And after that, one couple from this fellowship couldn't worship with us any longer. And despite the biblical nature and the Jesus-centered nature of the lesson that David brought, they said, we've got to go. And that broke my heart. But you know what? Interesting enough, that same week, another couple was visiting us for the very first time who will tell you that they came rather reluctantly that morning. They believed that God was impressing on them to come and pay us a visit, but they told me that they became weary with the Jesus plus practice of our heritage. Had been a part of it for years and years and years, but had become weary with it and had been worshiping with other faith families. They didn't think they could find a Jesus-only church of Christ. But they came here that Sunday. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, with another brother preaching from a different church, they decided that day this was their place. It wasn't because he was so dynamic in what he presented. What they loved was the dynamic of unity they could see being lived out here in this place. Exclusively inclusive was being practiced. And they loved it. And that's why we have Don and Karen Lawrence here. They've placed membership, and Don's been teaching, and Karen's been teaching, because they want to do anything and everything they can, because they love this church and its exclusively inclusive message of Jesus only. What Jesus prayed for is happening. Lord, will you help them be one? They don't get along very well, and I'm about to leave. One of the last things I'm going to pray for is that you please help them be one like you and me and the Spirit are one. Help them be one because then the world will know you sent me. And I get to do that with you. You know what's amazing? Maybe we forget this, but there's been two things, two demonstrations of our devotion to Christ that regardless of what faith family you're in, on some way, in some version, they practice it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Isn't that interesting? Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Nazarenes, Gates of the City, Impact. And I think uniquely so, this is just me thinking, all right? It's because in those two incredible acts of devotion, once again we're reminded this is all about Christ. I guarantee you in Aubrey, in Kirsten, Dana, Lolo were baptized this weekend. They didn't save themselves. No, they relinquished to Christ saving them and raised them to walk in a brand new life. That bread and that cup that you shared a few moments ago, <clears throat> that wasn't about, hey, look what I did. No, it was about, hey, look what he did. And even as kind of funky as that got with <laughs> Valeri over in the Ukraine, wasn't it amazing that when he went to pray, all of a sudden we heard him clearer than ever? 
Now, that may just been about the system, you know, and what he was wearing as far as a microphone. But I thought, that's pretty cool, God. really didn't matter what he was saying. It's what he was saying to you on behalf of all of us. Hey, God, there's more. Church, there's more. <laughs> and I can't wait to be a part of it with you. And we can be if we continue to remember we're an exclusively inclusive bunch. We've got some criteria that, that are necessary for us to call you brother or sister in Christ. And you know where we start and where we finish? Tell me what you know about Jesus. Tell me what you believe about Jesus. John said, if we can focus on that, it makes my joy complete. And it really does. I'm out of time, so I need to cut this off. It's not just enough for me to get into Christ. That's a joyous thing. But what you're seeing when John is writing 1 John is someone is, is telling somebody about what he's seen in Christ. You, you can't keep him quiet. And, and John's trying to just simply say, you make my joy complete when you believe that. And I just want to say to you, if you've never been a part of having a specific hand in seeing someone come to Christ, when you do, joy like no other joy. Like no other joy. And this week, you've had a chance to have a hand in four young ladies saying yes to Jesus Christ through your contributions, through your teaching of classes, through your loving on them when you see them in the halls, through putting up with them, running through the halls, all the stuff that we do as a Christian family. You've had a hand in seeing four lives say yes to Jesus Christ now. Will you have a hand with me? And handing them a better legacy, not in the Jesus plus, but with Jesus only. Maybe. Maybe. But I hope so. Because I think that will complete the joy of the Lord. Because he loves it when his kids get along. And especially when they're getting along in Jesus. Let's stand, church, and let's praise him.